0: To me, myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. Hosted by infertility sleuth Millie Brooks. That's moi. Welcome, everyone. So glad you could join us today. This is episode 51, and today we are talking to Dr. Kate O'Leary about the impact of toxic chemicals on your fertility. Now, let's be real. It's really easy to go crazy with this topic and start freaking out about all the chemicals in our life. This is not going to be that kind of conversation. I want to just tell you that right now. Dr. O'Leary has some really great suggestions to start small and to not really overwhelm us with a massive overhaul of every cleaning product in our house. She's really just here to give us bite-sized action items that can end up making a big difference. Um, Here's a little bit of backstory about why I'm even doing this episode this is a topic that I'm personally very passionate about because I feel like it was always lurking in the background of our diagnosis, um, my husband and I's, which was unexplained infertility, um, but we eventually pinpointed it to male factor infertility. Um Chemicals have a lot to do with our environment, which influences our fertility. Um, it's really hard to like draw all these parallels and give it a proper diagnosis. But today we're just going to be talking about what types of products are in our home, what type of skincare stuff we use, what kinds of cleaning products are we using. There's just chemicals all around us. And if there's any way we can make small changes in our life that have a big impact on our fertility, then I want to know about it. So that's the game plan for today. Before we dive into a pool of chemicals with Dr. O'Leary, are you following me, myself, and Millie on Instagram? If you aren't, please hop on the old gram and connect with us. I'm on there on a daily basis doing personal updates about my own journey as well as podcast updates. The handle is at me, myself, Millie. So find us connect with us, and be up to date on all the latest and greatest podcast news. Dr. O'Leary, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, I've been wanting to get you on the air since you made a profound post on Instagram about toxins and infertility.
1: Yeah, it's there's a lot out there. And it's when you start diving into the literature and learning more about the many different chemicals out there, it's scary. And um, I feel like as a reproductive endocrinologist, I'm in a unique role where I can actually talk to women before they get pregnant and um, discuss some of these things that can have a profound impact on fertility and pregnancy and fetal development, lifelong outcomes. So um, hopefully, you know, this will be a good conversation, but not too scary for people.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, before we dive into our topic, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into medicine.
1: Well, I grew up in Missouri, Southwestern Missouri in a town called Joplin. And I just was a, always interested in science. My dad worked in the hospital and the cardiopulmonary department more on the business side and introduced me. And I knew by age 13, I wanted to go into medicine. So um, I ended up going to medical school at Northwestern in Chicago. Um, I also joined the Air Force. Um, So I became a military officer, an Air Force officer, and that funded my education. So I did my OBGYN um, residency at an Air Force um, and Army training program in San Antonio. And then I finally did my fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility
0: at Stanford. Wow. You've been around the Ivy League block. (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) yes. Yes. Yeah. I worked hard. I, yeah, that you was hard did.
0: work. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a pretty it's a pretty hard, you know, lifestyle to just keep plugging away at school and yeah. to be at that level. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank and you. also to it. to join the Air Force too. So, did you do that in between Northwestern and Stanford?
1: Well, it was kind of concurrent. So what I did, I applied for a a scholarship. It's called the Health Professions Scholarship Program, you know, in Army, Navy, Air Force. I was a little bit intimidated about the cost of medical school. So I thought that would be a good leadership opportunity and a way to fund my education without going into debt. So I applied. um, And when I got accepted into medical school, they send you to officer boot camp right before med school. So you do it all kind of at the same time. And then you pay off your um, obligation to the military after you've done your training. So I paid off seven years after all of my training. Um, So got out two years ago.
0: Got it. Got it. Wow. That, you know, having all of that paid off is probably a massive relief.
1: Yeah, it was. I really felt like it opened up doors. And I feel like the experience I got with working with military families actually, you know, made a difference in, um, you know, my career field and, you know, helping helping that unique population. So it was really, uh, it, it opened doors. I'm really glad I did that.
0: Awesome. And so I know you were on the Egg Whisperer show talking about fertility options for military families. Tell us why that subject is important to you.
1: Well, it's definitely, I mean, I think the biggest thing for military families, you know, there are, it's just a unique time in a young person's life where you might be deployed, you might be sent to a different country, you're moving a lot. Um, you might be exposed to different things. And sometimes we don't always talk to um, our young military um, enlisted and officers about um, future family building. And, you know, sometimes I had seen patients who might've been deployed or been exposed to something, didn't know that they could have frozen their eggs or frozen sperm before that um, exposure or injury. So what, what, I felt like was really important as really educating military, um, families, whether single or partnered, um, about their fertility and thinking about the future instead of waiting until it's too late.
0: Oh gosh. And isn't it sad when it's too late? Like, I, I feel like I, um, I live in a culture, the Bay area where there's a lot of women who, um, it's It's just very common to start your families at forty, you know,, yeah. and it's yeah. it's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking when it's not as easy as they maybe anticipated it,
1: yeah. And I feel like, you know, I'm really trying to work with educating younger women so that they know what questions to ask. And it's ok if you don't want to have a baby for a while. But we need to be checking labs ovarian reserve and at least just talking about what our lifelong goals are you know if you know you want four kids and you're already 35 you know you probably should talk to somebody so we can help you know a specialist can help you so um i know that at least when i was early in training that wasn't a big discussion um in civilian or military life so um,
0: yeah hopefully yeah. getting better it's important to talk about it, because I think some I mean, some of us are really scared to even bring it up, you know, yeah. because we don't want to know we don't want they you know, people don't want to know. They're just like, uh, they're so they're in analysis paralysis, I call it
1: and exactly. And sometimes providers might say, Oh, you're young, you know, just you know, in a couple of years when you think you might want to have kids. Come back and see me, or just stay on your pills. and you know, it, the conversation seems more centered around contraception rather than what's your future goals for family building? How can we make sure that we provide options and opportunities later? Um, but, yeah, I've seen I've had many patients that were afraid to come and see me. Um, there there may have been a referral, and six months later, they still, Well, they finally come in and they were just afraid. They were afraid to find out what might be wrong. And, you know, I'm here to empower my patients. So even if we find some bad news or something that needs attention, you know, I always say at least we know now, let's act on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into chemicals and one's fertility. This is something I'm really passionate about um, because it's kind of one thing that you can quote unquote control in this journey. Yeah. And I'm always looking for something that I can control, you know. Yeah. For and sure. um I'm I what have you discovered in your own practice about linking toxic chemicals to infertility?
1: Well, um, in training at Stanford, I started reading a lot of um, studies um, that were published. There's there's actually robust um, scientific information out there, and it was it's been out there for 15 years. Um, whether it's an epidemiological study or animal study, case study or cell study, um, a lot of literature out there, and uh, started getting interested in it because Stanford had a strong recurrent pregnancy loss program. So just reading a lot of articles. And so that's what kind of got me interested. I also, um, my, uh, colleagues, Dr. Laura Shaheen has a wonderful blog and started reading a lot more about her, um, research into chemicals, all of the chemicals. And she's done a lot of good work in educating patients. She's a reproductive endocrinologist in Seattle. So, um, really you know that's that's where I first got exposed to the the chemicals out there and every year there seems to be more data about the harmful effects and even transgenerational effects of these different chemicals and toxins even in beauty products. Um,
0: Wait so I, there. I just want to like um, put a pin in something. What did you say? Transgenerational products?
1: Yeah. Well, transgenerational effects from exposures. Mm. So we know, I know it's, it's scary. And again, I don't want to be an alarmist and scare people, you know, instead this conversation should be about empowering people, but we do know that there are some chemicals out there within the class of endocrine, um, disruptors that pregnant women may have had affected babies and babies from those affected babies uh, are having problems, reproductive problems. And specifically, one of those examples is DES, diethylstilbestrol.
0: DES, okay.
1: DES, diethylstilbestrol, was a pharmaceutical agent that was used between the 19 I think 1940s to 1970 uh, 71 and it was an estrogenic compound that was thought to reduce miscarriages in pregnant women and what they found is that it did not reduce miscarriages or decrease preterm labor instead it caused vaginal clear cell carcinoma in Babies born from the women who took that medication, and babies born from women who took that medication had uh, genital anomalies. Um, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So that was taken off the market, you know, in 1971, I think. But now what we're finding is the grandchildren, some of them are also having genital anomalies. So we know that these compounds, especially these endocrine. Endocrine disruptors can affect cellular function and genetic expression um, for more than one generation in some cases.
0: And when you say endocrine disruptors, let's let's unpack that word. That's like a twenty million dollar word right there. Please.
1: Yeah. So endocrine disruptors. Um, Or EDCs, you may see EDCs in the literature. Um, They are chemicals that mimic, block, um, disrupt our endogenous, our own hormones. And um, they do that by interacting with hormone receptors in our body. Um, It can change gene expression. Many of them are what we call lipophilic. So they stay in our fat tissue and get released into our bloodstream over time um, and different classes of EDCs can be synergistic and additive to each other. So different chemicals you might be using in different beauty products or your plastics and food products can add together to create more additive or chemical burden. And so we know that endocrine disruptors definitely can cause problems with fertility, problems of fetal development, adverse pregnancy outcomes, adverse child development, and then, you know, a lot of other chronic medical problems. I know we're talking mostly about reproductive health today, but these endocrine disruptors have been shown to cause obesity in people who have, you know, been affected by it, as well as their children may have obesity as well. And then things like type two diabetes and cardiovascular problems. So EDCs are bad, and they're everywhere. So you know, we'll talk about later how we can be empowered with this information and really check our products and do our best to limit our exposures.
0: Yes, yes, we're gonna circle back around to that, folks, about how we can, um, as much as we can do, we can stay away from it. Um, but let's um, let's unpack. I already used that term, so I'm going to use maybe something different now. Let's go into how these chemicals affect the female reproductive system.
1: Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of different chemicals, and you certainly, you know, there's like over 80,000 chemicals out there, and today we're kind of focusing more on EDCs and some other other big ones that we have more data on, but... EDCs, since they affect our estrogen and androgen receptors, you know, they can mimic them, block them, um, you know, anti-androgenic. Um, they can cause a lot of problems with egg health, first of all. So we know that one particular EDC called BPA or bisphenol A. That's one that many people will be familiar with because check a baby bottle in the store, it'll say BPA-free or a lot of plastics will say BPA-free. So BPA, for example, is a, it's called an epoxy resin and it's one of the highest volume chemicals made worldwide. And we found out some of the harmful effects about BPA kind of by accident. There was a woman named Patricia Hunt who had a lab at Case Western in the late 1990s and she was studying mouse eggs or mouse oocyte um, function, um, meiosis, which is a chromosome function. And chromosome function in mice is very efficient. They can reproduce well. And she was finding that her mice eggs were all of a sudden like having tons of problems. Meiosis wasn't working. And she tried to figure it out, moved her lab. And what happened was, is that eventually she found out that those mice who were having egg problems, she had switched the water bottles in their cages to new ones that had BPA. And so she switched out the bottles to ones that didn't have BPA and the mouse egg function got back to
0: normal. So that's how we first figured out that this can affect your egg. Wow, wow! So yeah. she was originally just doing a, a case study on on what again? What was that? So she's looking. She was looking at mouse eggs and looking at
1: meiosis. So meiosis is a cellular function where chromosome. It's a chromosomal function that's really important for egg health and um, you know before an egg ovulates. So she was looking at that and found um, significant abnormalities when the mice were exposed to plastics. And interestingly, this meiosis problem is something that we see when women age. Um, When our eggs get older, they start making mistakes, like the meiotic spindle gets sticky, and that's why sometimes there's a higher risk of loss or trisomies. And so she was seeing some of those um, changes in these young, fertile, previously fertile mice.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. So
1: we know based on that, that BPA specifically and some of the other ones, they affect our egg, um, our eggs. So there are other harmful effects um, with the reproductive system. I mean, a lot of it does boil down to the estrogenic and anti- androgenic effects in our body, but BPA is known as an ovarian toxicant. Now that's kind of a scary word, but it is, it's just scary. So, you know, it can cause other things like ovarian cysts, um, uterine polyps. Um, It's been attributed to endometriosis and PCOS. Um, We can have impaired folliculogenesis or egg development in IVF in vitro fertilization we've seen impaired implantation for people who've tried to do embryo transfers um, and you know it can affect men too so that's BPA specifically but there are other EDCs out there that have similar adverse effects to the female reproductive system Um, and we didn't talk about the fact that these EDCs also can cause precocious puberty in little girls so puberty Occurring before age eight.
0: Oh wow! So it like early onset puberty. Yes, it can cause some of these
1: chemicals can cause even pesticides have been shown to cause things like um, uh, gynecomastia, which means breast development in a little boy. Um, So a lot of these these chemicals we're not. For sure the exact mechanism of of action in the body, but in reality, they're probably working through multiple pathways to affect the cells and you know hormone production. Um, And you know, I think that it's important to remember that BPAs and the EDCs, they affect the hypothalamus, your pituitary gland, and the gonads, ovaries or testes. So all three of those parts of the body work together. For human reproduction. And so these chemicals can affect the body at any of those levels to affect hormones from the brain or ovaries.
0: Wow. Well, so I was watching the fertility episode on Sex Explained on net on Netflix. And they presented a study that showed a shocking drop in men's sperm count since World War II. And they linked it to chemicals and plastics, and probably what you are referring to, PBAs. Um, Let's go into how this affects, how these toxic chemicals can affect the male reproductive system.
1: Yeah, so it's very similar to how it affects women. So um, BPAs, since they can affect your hypothalamus, which needs to communicate with your pituitary gland, which needs to communicate with the testes for normal sperm development and puberty and reproductive function in men, um, these chemicals can affect the body in any of these places. And there is a syndrome called testicular dysgenesis syndrome. I think it's just a a term um, encompassing some changes that have been seen um, that are uh, related to altered fetal reproductive development of a a male. We've seen decreased semen quality, so like decreased motility, decreased sperm counts, a high percentage of abnormal shapes of sperm, high DNA fragmentation index of sperm, which means um, there's been some damage to the sperm, Um, and even testicular germ cell cancers. So um, and finally altered latent cell function, that's a cell, a supporting cell, um, for spermatogenesis in the testes. So probably these are why we were seeing these effects. I haven't seen that Netflix episode. I need to watch it. Um, oh, yeah, but, it's a
0: good one. It's a good yeah. one because they, they compared the, um, amount of sperm to our grandfathers and then the amount of sperm in a, you know, sexually active male today. And it was like they even had to adjust the 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 normal because it yeah. had, had decreased so bad. Yeah, that's really alarming. Yeah.
1: Um, probably other things um, that, you know, it's, it's hard to put everything together and attribute it to one chemical because there's so many chemicals out there in the air, the dust in our house, the water, soil, our drinking water, all of the products we use to clean and disinfect. But pesticides are also known to, you know, as a a very well-known cause of decreasing sperm um, health um, and parabens. These are some of the newer things where we have a lot, a lot of animal models. So more research is pending, but Um, you know, phthalates are another endocrine disruptor that we did not talk about yet. That is a very, um, diffuse chemical it's in everything. So just like BPA, that's one where we can actively decrease our exposure to phthalates, which are found in everything from, it's a plasticizer. It's in everything from medical equipment, shampoos, takeout containers, our perfumes, anything with a fragrance, our lotions, candles, hairsprays, nail polishes, um, all of that stuff uh, also is a big player in, you know, sperm health and um, ovarian function. So that's another biggie where we can talk about later how to reduce our exposure because little changes make a big difference.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and so what is the research like on this massive subject?
1: Well, there is a lot of stuff out there. And you you, I mean, you said it. It is, it's massive. So, you know, in my own literature review, there's just tons of data. There are many statements from the EPA, the environmental working group, endocrine society, American Society for Reproductive Medicine, tons of epidemiologic studies case studies, there's tons of animal studies and cell-based models. And so all of this data is out there. It's just, I don't know why it's not talked about very much. Um, I mean, one study that's almost 20 years old was the NHANES study or the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey study in 2003 to 2004, um, found detectable levels of chemical toxicants, including the phthalates, And pesticides in 99 to 100 percent of pregnant women in the U.S. Um, That's yeah, I know. Uh, So that was that's an old study. Um, I'm sure there's other newer epidemiologic studies going on right now, Um, but you know, there's also a lot of stuff that's not well studied um, that we'll learn about later. Uh, Probably, unfortunately,
0: yeah, yeah. How can people avoid toxic chemicals without going crazy? Do you have any simple suggestions?
1: Yeah, there's lots of simple things we can do. And again, this is, this is meant to empower people. Um, You know, it's easy to get super discouraged or just shut down. When you hear about this scary stuff, you know, these chemicals are ubiquitous. They're everywhere, but there are many simple things we can do. Um, So, The first thing, you know, since I mentioned that phthalates and BPAs are found in a lot of our beauty care and cleansing products, um, one simple thing to do is just check your products, but don't go crazy. Maybe just start one at a time. When you finish your shampoo, check the label. There are apps out there. Um, There's an app called... um, There's an environmental working group, Skin Deep app. There's Think Dirty app where you can literally scan the barcode in your bathroom or at the store. So look to see if that particular item when you run out is acceptable in terms of what it contains. And if it's not, maybe consider replacing with something cleaner. So that's one thing, checking labels. Um, For beauty products and laundry detergents, things like that, um, also consider looking for fragrance-free um phthalates are found in things that have fragrance and and um or even in things that say phthalate free but with fragrance. They don't have to list all the chemicals. There's other similar chemicals. So try to go fragrance free if you can and get rid of those um, you know, synthetic, um, smell good things in your house, um, like the plug-in type of things and artificial candles.
0: Yeah so like you're saying um oh like okay so like the glade plug-in kind of stuff yeah and the yeah the air freshener yeah
1: yeah those those fragrances you know there's a lot of chemicals in there that are not well studied and some of our favorite perfumes and lotions use you know phthalates so that that stuff sticks to your skin skin better. And, um, you know, we definitely cannot wear, we tell our patients don't wear any perfume, lotion, scented, anything when they come in for their egg retrieval or embryo transfer, because we know that can kill the embryo or harm the embryo, harm the egg. So no
0: way.
1: Yeah. So it's just as important, you know, what you put on your skin, what you're eating, what you're putting on your Baby skin, you know, try to find the cleanest substances because it's absorbed and it can, you know, stay in our fat tissue. So, um, you know, many cleaner companies are out there, and they they will voluntarily list their ingredients. So it's definitely out there. Yeah. Um, So don't feel discouraged. So, those are a couple things about cleansing items, but we can control a lot as well by what we put in our mouth, how we cook, where we get our food, um, and products in our kitchen. So I would avoid, of course, you know, plastics if you can. Um, You can use stainless steel or glass. So avoid those plastic water bottles. I would avoid the ones that say uh, that have um, plastic recycling code number three or number seven, because even though it's BPA free, it has different bisphenols or different plasticizers that, have, that are less well studied. So the best thing is just try to go with your uh, old-fashioned stainless steel water uh, or glass for your water. Um, also, don't microwave your plastic or put it in the dishwasher because heating up any type of plastic can leach those chemicals into your food. Um, another thing is just decrease the amount of canned foods you're eating because BPA can be found in the liner of cans these are easy things, you know, just buy fresh or frozen. Um, just like we, you know, recommend trying to get more organic, you know, wash off those pesticides. If you can't buy organic, really wash your produce. So those are a couple things. Take your shoes off before you come home or get into the house because you might have dirt, dirty soil or dust on there. Um, and avoiding thermal receipts is a big one. Um thermal receipts. Oh my receipts. gosh, I won't even I touch them.
0: I won't even <laughs> touch them anymore. Yeah, that's
1: good. Yeah. I
0: I, I, I like pull, hold up put up my hands and I'm like, I don't want it. Don't even put yeah. it near me.
1: Yeah, I uh, I definitely avoid them too. I don't let my kids touch them. Or if I have for some reason I accidentally touched it or had to touch it to save it for something, I'll wash my hands right afterwards. Um, so that's important. And you know, for people who handle those receipts frequently during the day, it'll be important for them to either consider gloves or just wash their hands frequently. Um, so those are a few things um that you can do, you know. I guess another thing would be maybe decreasing the amount of processed foods and takeout because the way those foods are cooked and transported can have a lot of those EDCs in them. So, you know, eating um better at home, cooking at home is uh, helpful.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, those are some great simple questions with that or simple suggestions that won't require a massive overhaul.
1: Right, right. And one other one I forgot to mention that's important and that I think is being phased out, but just don't forget to try to avoid Teflon pans in your home because that has a different chemical uh, that can be harmful. So um, mm. those non-stick pans. Um, just switch to you know carbon steel or cast iron. So
0: yeah, that's a good. That's yeah. on my list. That's on my to do list. Because um, I think it it also isn't it like when you rub up against the Teflon too that that's not smart.
1: Yes, um, when you scrape that Teflon, those Teflon nonstick pans, it makes some of that chemical, um, which is called PFO, uh, PFOA. Um, which is a per floral, um, fluoro alkyl substance, I know it's a long word, but that is uh, harmful. um, and that you know that's found in other industrial um, products like flame retardants and nonstick lots of stuff. Um, so yeah, try not to scrape it if you're gonna use those pans or if you have one, and it, you can see that it's
0: scraped all up on the bottom of it time to throw it out. time to time to retire it. Yeah. In the garbage, probably. Yes. Yes. Um, this is a question I ask all of my guests. Um, so I'll ask you too. What makes your blood boil about infertility?
1: I think, you know, I think the most discouraging thing or makes my blood boil as well is just when I'm meeting someone that really had questions about her fertility, but had kind of been maybe blown off or just told, Oh, you're healthy. You're young. You know, don't worry about it right now. Um, you know, that that's discouraging because I feel like any young woman, no matter what age you are, if you are thinking about long-term planning or just questioning, you know, and my, am, am I healthy? What are my numbers? Um, How can I make sure that I can reach my goals someday, you know, with my career and having a family or, uh, you know, that is discouraging to me. So I I really, I hope that people feel more comfortable being more persistent, asking about checking their levels and talking about their reproductive health instead of just contraception at, you know, most of our visits, it's geared at, oh, if you don't want to have kids, you know, okay, we'll see you next year. Um, but we should really be talking about these things um, when we're younger so that we don't miss an opportunity. So that's that's probably my biggest thing. I thought in the military sometimes and, you know, it's it still happens sometimes. Um, I think there's the, there's a lot more education out there, so it's less so. But that's probably the biggest thing for me.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate what you just mentioned. And you also mentioned at the beginning of this episode, which was, a lot of the conversations with your doctor especially if you're a female center around contraception yeah you know and how can we empower women to um not be so afraid to like tackle their fertility
1: yeah i know i think that you know i tr- it's hard because you're afraid and you read stuff on doctor google and Um, maybe your provider's not comfortable interpreting your AMH level, for example, but, you know, what I tell my patients who've been reluctant to come see me, I say, you know what, knowledge is power. You know, don't be afraid to ask questions. If you're not getting your questions answered, um, get another opinion and that's okay. You know, you need to find that right fit, someone you trust. And don't be afraid to learn about your body, um, if you're surprised, you know, or, you know, it's not what you expected. Your doctor is here to help you through that and to act on that information so that you can reach your goals, whatever that might be. Um, so, I know that's hard, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's I th- I think it's a great thing to bring up um, because it just seems like a lot of. I mean, I did my pre preconception. Um, appointments, you know, and they really didn't check off a lot of boxes. It wasn't until yeah. they were like, "Oh, go try and come back, come back to us."
1: Yeah, that's often said. Um, even the the conversation we were just having, like, you know, ASRM, ACOG, you know, that's American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. Even the International Federation of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, you know, they've had consensus statements put out talking about at the preconception visits, we need to be talking about, um, and, and, investigating our patients' exposures to these toxins that we just talked about, because we can make a big difference educating, um, not scaring people, but just educating, you know, try to be, you know, just little things make a big difference before you get pregnant, when you're pregnant, and when you have your baby. So, um, at these preconception visits, it needs to, um, include these things, you know, uh, a lot more detailed things about lifestyle that sometimes there's not enough time in a visit. So, you know, diet and exercise, that's a whole nother, you know, podcast episode for you, but that should also be talked about um, at these preconception visits. It's really important.
0: Yeah. And I just feel like they weren't, there was no attention given to any of that. You know, it was just like, they, I, I almost got like a raised eyebrow. They were like, "You're coming to see us before you start trying," and I was like, "All the books say you should do that. You know that you should yeah. like get some things checked out, see yeah. if you're on track, get off your birth control. You know, like yeah. there's a there's a big phase there, and yeah. and then like a year goes by and. Every month is just so devastating when it doesn't work yeah. out. And yeah, I, I just raise my fist to, to that oh. preconception appointment. Did you ask
1: did you ask for your um ovarian reserve to be checked at that lo- at that appointment and, and told to come back? Or
0: I didn't. Um, I didn't. Yeah,
1: because you just didn't even know, right? You, right. But that could have been know,
0: helpful. Right. I didn't yeah. even have that language. I was like, yeah. oh, I didn't even know I could be, I could ask for that,
1: yeah. you know?
0: Um. So, yeah, it's a really, I think that those appointments are, could, you know, could be really empowering for people, especially who are dealing with infertility, you know? Right. Oh, yeah. Those are great appointments. Um, And, you know,
1: there's just so much to talk about. I know at my new patient um, appointments, there's just so much I want to talk about. And I know I'm overwhelming her. and We barely get to things like, you know, toxins and diet. And, uh, you know, I do the best I can to give my two-minute spiel on it. But a lot of it's about ovarian reserve and potential treatments and, you know, what could be going on. Um, Yeah, those preconception appointments before you even come to the fertility doctor, I mean, can get a lot of work done there and empower people to, you know, get on that healthy uh, lifestyle if if maybe they didn't even know that, you know, their diet has a lot of things that cause inflammation and bad, you know, has toxins in their diet. So, yeah, we just need to do better. Yeah.
0: Well, how can people follow you and find you um, on social media?
1: Yeah, well, I do have an Instagram. It's uh, I'm new. I'm a newbie, relatively speaking, to Instagram. Um, less than a year. So I'm Dr. Kate O'Leary. So it's D R K A T E O L E A R Y. Um, that's where you can find me. Um, I'm in Cincinnati, so I practice in Cincinnati, and um, that's where my private practice is. Um,
0: awesome. Institute. Yeah. Awesome. I miss the Midwest. I really do. I- are you from there? I am. I'm originally from Detroit, and I moved okay. out to California about 11 years ago. And um anytime I, like, find somebody from Indiana, Ohio, or Illinois, I'm just like, oh, tell the cornfields I said hello. <laughs> well, I miss Palo Alto and the uh, Bay Area a lot. Yeah. Because uh, we moved from – the military moved
1: me from uh, – Palo Alto to Dayton, Ohio for several years. So that was a big, that's big a big change. leap.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Dr. O'Leary. It's been yeah. wonderful having you on the show. And I think, pleasure. I think you really articulated things in a way that doesn't scare people. So I think you did your job. Okay, good. I hope so. Yeah. All right. We'll be in touch. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Bye